0: When it comes to conquering COVID, accurate and credible information can literally save lives. But when misinformation is used to lead the public astray, what can we do about it? What is misinformation? And how can we have productive conversations that will help us get through the pandemic sooner as opposed to later? Dr. Drew Cameron is our guest on this episode. Conversations to Conquer COVID, hosted by Grant Johnston, begins now. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Drew Cameron. You can find the first half of our discussion by listening to episode three in this podcast series. When it comes to misinformation or here in Alaska, are COVID misinformation campaigns underway in Alaska and have they been effective?
1: Yes. Uh, unfortunately, to both questions, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll raise uh, the profile of this really great group out of the University of Alaska Anchorage called the Alaska Health Misinformation Response Project. And over the last year or more, they've been tracking and, and working to counter misinformation and disinformation in um, online public forums on Facebook. And they've done a great job of tracking a really large volume of misinformation that's proliferating in these forums, um, particularly in like the comments sections of local news pages on facebook Um, and then you know we, we really we don't have to look too far locally um you know for examples the uh the alaska early treatment medical summit that took place last month in anchorage um you know is a great example of this uh this coordinated disinformation campaign um and it's a really well rafted well crafted campaign um and you know we can look to to the covid numbers and and plateauing rates of vaccination in Alaska. And that, you know, is more evidence that really reflects the impact of these kinds of efforts and and the reach of this kind of disinformation. So, you know, just uh, by way of statistics, now that children under five are eligible, um, when when you take a look at the state dashboard today on November 15th, uh, only 54 percent of Alaskans have been fully vaccinated. and, and then, you know, for example, from a statewide survey that took place back in April, uh, some of the most prominent reasons that folks who have not been vaccinated cite um, as rationale uh, include concerns about vaccine safety, um, you know, including side effects and, and rushed approval, uh, lack of trust, and conspiracy theories um, and misperceptions of their own risk of harm from COVID nineteen. Um, so it's it's really everywhere.
0: So the question is, what do we do about it? And this term inoculation science has become familiar to uh, to some of us, especially in the public health field. What is inoculation science and what roles does it play in Alaska's fight against COVID?
1: So inoculation science is this relatively new idea that uh, in much the same way that we develop, say, antibodies against foreign agents that protect our bodies from infection and serious disease, we can also develop antibodies that protect against misinformation. Um, So this process, this inoculation science, um, as you point out, is this this new set of tools that um, is designed to sort of help us uh help to provide us with examples of some of the tactics that people use to spread misinformation um you know and to put those in our arsenal before we encounter the misinformation so you know just by way of example, knowing that there is this coordinated disinformation campaign going on, um, you know, that's meant to feed us false information and and try to sell us these fake cures should really give us pause when we encounter something on the internet that doesn't come from a trusted source like DHSS or or the Centers for Disease Control. Um, You know, before I get into some of these specific uh, tips for how to recognize some of of these tactics, I would point people to uh, check out a few of the sites, um, you know, where they can find more information out about this, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General has put out a uh, community toolkit for addressing health misinformation that goes through a lot of these tactics one by one, um, you know, these different strategies. And, and you can find it on the HHS, HHS.gov website. Um, and, you know, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into inoculation science, in particular, the University of Cambridge and the University of Bristol in the U.K., they have this great website, just Google inoculation science um, and that that website outlines some of the methods that are used to misinform. And it, it actually lets you play some really interesting uh, inoculation games. So there's one on COVID-19 that takes about five minutes and I just did it today, actually. Um, and It was really eye-opening. So let me go through a couple of specifics here. Um, so by way of example, again, um, you know, when you encounter someone say in the discussion section of a Facebook page or you're, um, you know, uh, come across someone who's trying to convince folks, for example, that COVID isn't real, or it's a government cover-up, or vaccines cause harm, there's a few common strategies that you can look out for. So number one, and you know, uh, most prominent, is emotional language. And this is particularly language that evokes negative emotions like fear and outrage. And that really increases the viral potential of social media content. Another strategy is incoherence. This can be hard to detect, um, but th- these are illogical or maybe inconsistent fallacies where someone uses two or more arguments that can't logically be true at the same time. A-, a third strategy are false dichotomies, where a limited number of choices or sides are presented, you know, by the person presenting information, when in reality uh, more options are actually available if you sort of sit and critically think about them. A fourth strategy is scapegoating. Uh, and that's, you know, folks are familiar with when a person or a group is singled out or takes unwarranted blame for a particular problem. So you can think about how many times maybe big pharma is mentioned. Um, another similar tactic are ad hominem attacks. So that's when someone attacks the person that's making the argument rather than the argument itself. And I think many of us have, have seen this online or maybe even been the object of some of this kind of abuse. Um, another example are fake experts. So presenting unqualified individuals or, or institutions as sources of credible information. A seventh, uh, setting impossible expectations. That means sort of demanding un- unrealistic standards of certainty before um, you know, making recommendations to act on science. Um, and then, of course, there are conspiracies. So you know, proposing that a secret plan exists to implement some kind of nefarious scheme that involves hiding the truth. So, you know, you may encounter any number of these tactics that I just mentioned being used um, all at once um, and and often by the same person posting over and over again. So it's easy to see how some of these ideas can become sticky and, and really pervasive, especially in these social media spaces. So I'll point to another set of skills that you can use to equip yourself when it comes to uh, your online searching um, for maybe more information on a topic or a treatment or, say, you've strayed away from the CDC or the Department of Health and Social Services or other government websites. There's a few things that you might see online that are pretty common tropes. So... One big example is in memes in particular, including the logo of an established organization, um, like adding the CDC logo or a News Network logo to a post. It's pretty easy to do you know, with a word processor or, or PowerPoint. Uh, another example is using, using visual cues. So if someone's delivering a statement while they're wearing a white lab coat, for example, or a stethoscope. A third that I think is really telling is having professional or slick looking websites that kind of trick us into visually assuming that there's like a proof of trustworthiness because it looks like some, some money and some resources went into that site. And I'll kind of add uh, in this a note that, you know, we find this a lot in academia as well. There's a rash of what we call predatory journals or, or fake journals that they appear to be real, but. They're either trying to trick scientists into paying publication fees to publish their own work, or they themselves are repositories of fake articles that undergo little or no peer review. Um, And so even for academics, it can start to get really hard to distinguish between real and fake articles at first. And this is why it's really important, I think, to listen to experts who not only know how to read and digest what is often complicated statistical evidence, but those that also have the institutional knowledge to be able to distinguish between fake and real articles. So another really common trope um, is including a post or, or something like, say, my brother works for the government and he has this inside knowledge, or my sister's friend is a nurse and she doesn't trust the vaccine. Like These can be really compelling stories, but when you think about it for a second, there's really no way to prove or disprove them at all. So. You know, from your perspective, they might as well have been saying that Bigfoot told them. So similar to that, that trope is uh, stories uh, in which there's a lot of content that sort of employs first person experiences where somebody maybe creates a video clip um, looking right at the camera and says, this thing happened to me. And it can be really incredibly difficult to fact check those types of videos as well. And then I think a last one that you can keep an eye out for online tropes that use unique or rare terms. So when somebody searches for content that's connected to that term that maybe you've never heard of before, there are by nature fewer links and there's less likely to be any available fact checking. Um, So you got to be on the lookout for words or phrases that seem to be completely new or just coming out of the ether.
0: And all of this that you've been discussing is coming in a in the context of heightened emotions and fear, and you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, mistrust, distrust of the government um, and one another, um, and it it really is interesting to see this play out locally. Um, but what do you do when it's too late? When our friends or families, people we care about, family members, already fervently believe something they bought you know, some misinformation or disinformation, hook, line, and sinker. What do we do about that?
1: This can be a really tricky situation, Um, you know, because I think as as you alluded to, you know, sometimes these are casual acquaintances, but sometimes it's, uh, and pretty often it's somebody that you love and respect. Maybe it's a family member, a sibling. Um, You know, I'd suggest a few of the following steps. Um, And, you know, we've thought about this a lot over the course of the last year. The first and most important thing to do, I think, is is not to talk, is to just shut up and listen. Um, You know, really the best way to change somebody's mind about misinformation is to stop and listen to their fears, ask them why they believe what they do. Don't interrupt them or focus on whatever the false claim happens to be or try to shut them down or fact check them. Um, You really want to maximize the opportunity that that person has to communicate their concerns to you, you know, and maybe ask clarifying questions to that end. Um, And then, you know, instead, and and here's point number two, like, you really want to empathize. And I think I kind of spoke to that. You want to emphasize the fact that you understand that there are often reasons why people find it difficult to trust certain sources. Um, And and you want to try to understand where they're coming from, admit that you may have also struggled to identify true and false information. And and maybe you can use some examples from your own life, like the, the meme example that I gave earlier. Um, Number three, you can try to point towards credible sources. Um, Don't force it down people's throats, but, you know, try to underscore that finding accurate information can be really hard, and especially now. Um, So identifying accurate sources that are not seeking personal profit or to gain influence or power, um, you know, is an important next step. Um, And, you know, again, remind that person that an expert on one topic may not be the best source on another topic. So, you know, for example, not all medical doctors have public health training. Um, So that's something something to consider. Um, Fourth, and I think this is also really key, is please don't publicly shame. Um, Try to have these conversations one on one if you can, not in public forums. Um, You know, maybe it has to happen over the Thanksgiving dinner table. But, uh, you know, to the extent that it's possible, um, try not to embarrass, you know, the person that you're talking to, because nobody likes to appear wrong. Um, and I think publicly calling someone out has the potential to backfire, to, to cause that person to really dig in. Um, so be gentle in your replies. Try to remember and to listen, um, to be empathetic. Instead, you know, really help to reframe the risks as helping that person to avoid regret by not taking recommended precautions. Um, and then I think, finally, whenever possible, try to use inclusive language and try not to other the person that you're talking to, make it clear that you see yourself being impacted in the same way.
0: In a public environment that is so contentious over how to deal with COVID, there's an enormous amount of peer pressure in the different camps. How can individuals do the right thing based on credible information when doing so goes against the opinions of their peers?
1: I think that's a great question. It's really timely. and I think there's, there's a concept, this sort of seed that I'd like to plant in folks' minds. And it's this idea of quiet courage. Um, I'd say to folks who are maybe on the fence about getting vaccinated, for example, one of the hardest things that you can do in your life is to go against your family or your peer group. We don't want to alienate our friends and neighbors. Um, we don't want to risk losing those important connections in our lives. But I think we need to remind ourselves that this is really a false dichotomy. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, making decisions to get vaccinated, isn't the all or nothing scenario that it's being made out to be. Um, you don't have to be this person screaming from the rooftops that you got the vaccine or or change your Facebook profile picture to include a banner and convert yourself to this whole sort of cult of virtue signaling that we've all seen. Although, you know, I will say that letting people know that you care, um, How you stand goes a long way towards helping them to make similar decisions. But that aside, I think we need to try to put on that dispassionate scientist hat for a minute, see what DHSS is saying, know that it's backed by a really strong and growing evidence base, and really just take these necessary steps to protect you and your family by making an appointment to get vaccinated and just rip the Band-Aid off. Cause that's, that's really all we're talking about here. We're not switching sides. We're not betraying our people. We're just doing what's best for us and for our loved ones. Um, and I'll say that, you know, just for reference, my wife and I were some of these early adopters. We got our shots right away, which doesn't seem sort of particularly remarkable since I'm talking to you about the importance of getting vaccinated, but it wasn't really an easy decision for us. So like, Early on, my wife was in her second trimester at the time, and we were still operating off of the really early studies on the effectiveness of the vaccines. So, right then, very little was sort of known about the potential impact on unborn children. Um, And so at the same time, several of our friends who were also pregnant had made this decision to wait and they felt really strongly, they were trying to make the right choice for themselves and for their kids. And so that pressure was there for us, Um, you know, that peer pressure uh, that, that many folks are experiencing now. And so we had this like long night where we sat down and we really weighed the risks and we looked really carefully at the available evidence. And what it came down to at the time was the fact that pregnancy was, and you know, it still is, a major risk factor for complications due to COVID. And so ultimately, my wife's health and safety were the most important thing, because that meant giving our daughter the very best shot at keeping her safe. And it turns out that in the months that followed, you know, more evidence has come out that shows that these shots really are safe for pregnant mothers um, and for their unborn children. And the you know, American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists has subsequently updated their guidance to recommend vaccination for pregnant women. Um, so now here we are. We're both really relieved that we made that choice, but it was hard um and we had some sleepless nights uh really weighing that decision and, and we had a tough time sort of talking about it with our friends um but now our, our daughter is seven weeks old and she's bubbly and happy and she's got 10 fingers and 10 toes and uh, you know we couldn't be happier so um it takes it takes some effort and it takes some quiet courage but uh, you can get there
0: quiet courage great advice drew and Congratulations on on the little one there, and uh, best wishes to you and your family. I do wanna say that the Conquer COVID Coalition is an Alaska-based nonprofit made up of businesses and other organizations. And our mission is to uh, share credible information with Alaskans to continue to practice the COVID mitigation measures that we've all learned and also to remember the importance of testing when we have symptoms or potential exposures to somebody who has tested positive for COVID. Uh, The Conquer COVID Coalition will have links on our website at ConquerCOVIDAK with many of the tips here uh, provided by Drew Cameron. Drew, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this conversation to help conquer COVID. Stay safe, Alaska.